Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 163 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the Singapore Grand Prix in Singapore. I'm Robin Warner. The Marina Bay circuit in Singapore. Yes, I am Jim yeah, Lau. That one. And this, this is kind of the endurance Formula One race, if there is one. Uh, just the, the length, uh, it's right up at the two hour limit. In this case, it was indeed, again, two hours and stopped due to time. Uh, and, you know, just very, very hot, very tiring, and uh, just, you know, an exciting race to follow. And a good one. I mean, it was shortened by one lap today. It was 60 laps instead of the planned 61. Indeed, it which was. Which kind of happens some some regularity there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a pretty, I guess, pretty wild series of events, um, starting with, I think, um, the qualifying being as close as we've seen in a while with seven thousandths of a second between first and second place Mercedes. What's fascinating about this qualifying, too, in my opinion, is that it was close and largely because this is much less um, much less emphasis on straight line speed, much more emphasis on slower uh, mechanical grip, um, downforce, of course, as well, and uh, those kind of things. Engines taken out of the picture a little bit, yada, yada, yada. However, the slowest track that's that way even more so is Monaco. Right. And then we still saw a clear Mercedes advantage. Right. So it's fascinating to me. I, I think this is a little bit telling in the sense that, yes, some of the inherent uh, advantages that Mercedes has were minimized, but there's been a lot of progress by the other teams in in the uh, in the races between Monaco and here. Right, and also, uh, so it was very very close between the Mercedes, but also uh, now Daniel Ricciardo was in third place behind Nico Rosberg, um, but just what uh, sort of 100 you know a tenth behind basically. Uh, you can go into the thousands, but we don't really care. Uh, just <laughs> a tenth back. To uh, to Ricardo and then Vettel was right there uh, within a tenth, uh, and then you know f- then Alonso in the Ferrari, then Massa, and then it kind of went on back from there. But um, yeah, I mean the uh, pole time was one forty five six, and uh, if you go back, um, everybody was within a second uh, certainly, and then you go back just half a second, um, it's you know still covers. Uh, the top six of the grid, so it's well, and yeah, and it must be said that uh, I know it's ultimately irrelevant, but Kimi Raikkonen was actually pole sitter Q1 and I think Q2 as well. It definitely, definitely Q1. I'd have to look again. Um, and when it came to the beginning of Q3, when he was going to make his first time lapped, the car failed on him, so Kimi did not get a chance to actually make a run for it, and he could have seriously been a spoiler. He was running very well. Yeah, in Q2, Kimi Räikkönen ran a 146.359. Oh, it was Massa, wasn't um, it? And uh, no, there was a, uh, Massa's was slower. Oh, but, it was Rosberg right at the end. I remember now. It, right at the end of Q2. Well, right. So Hamilton did a 146.2, which is a little bit faster. But then Rosberg had a 145.8 the first lap into the 45s right. there and, uh, and was better. So, uh, yeah, of course, you know, the conditions are a little bit different. But Räikkönen's 146.3 um, would have been... Uh, ninth if he had run that same time in Q3. So yes, if he had pushed yeah. harder in Q3 and gone higher up, then who knows? But uh, And actually, I'm, I'm my memory is slowly coming back to me. Uh, Kimi did his first time lap, just like anybody else did. That's how he ended up, what, seventh on the grid. Right. Um, but it was during the second time lap that he had that failure, and he didn't have another chance to go run it. And, you know, more or less everyone approved on that uh, second chance, so there was no reason to think that Kimi wouldn't have either. Right. As well. So, but with a, another fair fight without uh, crazy weather or anything between the two of them, um, both Mercedes were went you know went toe to toe, and it was like we say, just about as close as it can be. Seven and, thousandths of a second. And yet Hamilton 
came out uh, just barely on top, and I thought it was great when uh, they radioed that information to Nico, and he just goes, "Damn it!" over yes, the radio, yes. like rather than a, "Oh, mind it's the good swears, for the team, Jim, and, mind the swears." You know, it's we, we need to do this. Oh, it's good to get one too, just to have that actual raw emotion for a second. Just God damn it! You yeah, know, just right. To, I, really, I know. I really, you know, because it, it was a really good lap, and just seven thousand, and it was like, true. Really and of course, it. the second the microphone was put in front of him after the fact, he's like, "Yeah, no, it's good for the team, and yeah, we were close, but oh well, it is what it is." But it's like, okay, we know how you feel. And we completely understand. Right. That is a tough thing to deal with. Also, it's it's nice to see uh, that uh, Hamilton, he locked up going into turn one and managed it and still got the pole despite that. You know, usually those are the kind of things that uh, people use as excuses for why they didn't get pole or do better. In fact, that's exactly the excuse that Jensen Button used for not being able to get out of Q2. Right. So... Uh, the fact that Hamilton pulled that off despite that, I thought was telling and showed. I mean, we'll get to it in a minute, but I mean, Hamilton, I think the Singapore weekend just generally is Hamilton can look back and be very proud of his performance. Right. And of course, uh, for race day, it was just trouble right on the grid for Nico Rosberg. Um, and as everyone has probably seen by now, but, uh, you, you know, just got the car out to the grid apparently it was fine on the installation lap and then that's right yeah uh, he was he was in q2 ready to start when the issues cropped up crept up and yeah and p2 on the grid as it were what um, did i say q2 yes i think we were trying well, to qualify again that was not right trying to confuse me mind your p's and q's exactly perhaps yes um so then yeah all hell broke loose they tried you know they tried to change the steering wheel that didn't fix it turned out it was a wiring loom problem a broken wiring loom um and uh, you can imagine there's all kinds of uh, oh god, I'm sorry. I just feel forced to do that. This problem was looming, perhaps. Oh, was it there? Was it you know woven into a problem of I don't know, loom? <laughs> not not going to work. Um, so yeah, so you know they pushed the car back to this to uh, to the pits. Um, just barely did get it going, and he did a couple laps, and it was slow. It was down on power. The you know way slow in the speed traps. Ended up retiring. Up shifting. Seemed to be skipping a gear on the upshifts. In yeah, addition skipping to that. gears on upshifts, and then I think may have been just down on power in general as well. I mean, we didn't get the whole details on it, but it was a, obviously a very big problem, and he was trying to deal with it and trying to deal with it. But then it just became apparent that it was not worth trying to hang on to it to not get any points. You know, the, the prospect of okay, let's just fix this and charge the field was just and who knows away. what something that could have been indirectly related causing more trouble for him so i think it was the smart decision as painful as it might have been to just park it right and of course we have um we've seen engine penalties start to happen for people you know running out of power units so you know it was what daniel kafiat i think uh, already and i think vettel has said there's no way he can finish the year without an engine penalty so uh we haven't seen any issues like that for the mercedes yet but Obviously, uh, come down to the end of the end of the year, and the you know a ten be- ten grid spot penalty is a huge thing to overcome. So yes. to be able to say, okay, this race is screwed, and but at least I can save this engine, and it's you know going to have that many fewer miles on it, and then you can use it again for uh, a future race is probably just a, a sensible thing to do. But of course, that means uh, and Lewis Hamilton was able to come on victory uh, and you know win win the race and uh, get maximum twenty five points. Nico Rosberg getting zero. And uh, take over the lead of the championship. <sighs> all right. Time for my smug moment. What have I been saying all summer? The points are way closer than they look. Don't discount. All it takes is one problem for Rosberg and something to go Hamilton's way. And all of a sudden, the championship's totally as close as you can get again alive. And my goodness, almost uh, word for word did that happen here at Singapore. And 
again, timing-wise, was just about perfect for us because this was coming right after the uh, right after the Italian Grand Prix, where Lewis was once again able to be first in the Mercedes one two in the Mercedes one two instead of second or worse, and claw the championship race back into within a race distance. So had this happened in Italy, he still would have he would have gained a lot of crown, but still would have been behind. That would have been an emotional struggle for um, Hamilton and an emotional boost for Rosberg. But no, Rosberg literally had to have a headset on and uh, in the stands with his T-shirt watch his uh, championship erode. So uh, all of a sudden, we go into Japan, fantastic event, and Rosberg is on the back foot and feeling the pressure. It's going to... It's going to be nuts. Yes, Rosberg has called for increased reliability from the Mercedes. Which, good idea. You know, good idea. I feel like it takes that kind of strategic thinking. Yes. That's what makes a world champion. Because most people will go like, oh, you know what? Unreliability, that's cool. We should have our car break sometimes. It's probably fun. Yes. But it takes a really, like, just long-term thinker to go, you know what? We should have increased Reliability, not decreased, my friends, increased. That's what we need. It's so, that out-of-the-box thinking right. that's made him do so well that so far. So this this is what makes me feel even stronger now more than ever that Rosberg will be the world champion. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. Uh, you know, we've had... So many, you know, runaway successes for, uh, for, you know, for the Mercedes team as a whole, but then a couple times where one driver or another kind of gets this gift. Uh, but in this case, of course, we had Hamilton um, where, okay, the fact that his teammate had these electrical problems and that completely took him out of the running, that's nice, but he still had to work for it. You know, oh my that's God. what was what was sort of cool about this was not just a boring uh, drive to victory, um, but he was, uh, you know, still playing strategy. Of course, the safety car came in and shook things up. Um, which everyone had to pretty much know, everyone expected, but of, no one knows when. Right. Um, and then, you know, they made a tire call, which seemed reasonable. And then all of a sudden with the safety car timing, it's like, oh, wait a minute, this may not work out so well. And the safety car period was really long. So. It, it definitely had to work for it. He had to make a few passes on track and did so. Um, I guess just one with uh, passing Vettel. Um, but, you know, um, a, uh, a, a, I guess Vettel said it was a surprising pass. He was sort of surprised with uh, the location on track and sort of the conviction with which Lewis made that pass, figuring, you know, oh, there might have been easier spots to do it. But, uh, you know, Lewis has uh, been good at that lately. Um, I mean, his car was still one piece. He didn't slide anywhere. Right. And he did, in fact, complete the pass and stay within the track limits. And went on to win the race by over 13 seconds. It's, it was ultimately, it, well, okay. It was a hard-fought, brilliantly driven victory by Lewis. I think it was a tiny bit over-dramatized how close it was. Because everyone has to use both the options and the primes. And this race, which is something we should talk about actually... Uh, this race, the difference between the options and the primes was bigger than usual. So people wanted to be on the options as much as possible. But um, because they were on the primes at the time and uh, could go longer, they were also going slower. It's prime time. Yes. Prime time was looming. They had, Ooh, they had, taken, combo. They had combo. taken the options. But anyway, option, you were saying. yeah, it, it's – so it was kind of like, okay, it's going to happen. And yes, it is harder to pass to Singapore, but not impossible. And so I feel like 
Hamilton's response when he was at the podium celebration, Eddie Jordan's like, oh, that was crazy. It was really tough. He's like, nah, not really. You know, and Eddie was like, oh, come on. You sounded so tense in the radio. And he's like, yeah, I didn't know what was going on at the moment, but yeah, you know, and I kind of felt like right on Hamilton because yes, it was dramatic. And yes, he had work to do. And yes, he had overcome things. And yes, the stint he put in before the last 10 laps was epic. But I didn't feel like there's no way Lewis is going to be able to pass anybody. Yeah, and I mean, looking at it, of course, it's easy on one side to look back on it, knowing what happened, to go, oh, yeah, that actually came together pretty well. But in the moment, I was thinking uh, as well that, okay, yes, Lewis is going to have to take a pit stop, which is going to set him back 28 or so seconds uh, you know, relative to his rivals. But all of his rivals are having just increasingly old tires yes. and having a harder and harder time just managing those. Uh, so yes, of course there are. You can you can hold someone off for a few corners usually, sometimes a few laps. But if you've got someone with as car as good as the Mercedes, um, obviously Lewis knows this track quite well and has done quite well here. Um, and you know, with just fresh tires, even if they're the same tires, um, brand new set of tires, and someone who's that motivated, um, you know, it seems like not a given that he'd find his way through. But it seems like more of a matter of time of you know. Of, of getting around these guys. So what what worked out well, of course, was that he, you know Hamilton came into the pits and his crew was able to to service the car very very quickly and get him out with like two point nine seconds. Um, but it was just behind Vettel, but in front of uh, crucially Ricardo and Alonso. Yes. Because if it had been just you know a tenth or two later, it could have been behind both those cars. He would have had to make three passes on track, and that which would have been harder on his tires. Right. Yeah. Um, and I still think probably doable because there were seven laps to go or something, and these are yeah. long laps. Less than um, ten at least. Yeah. So well, uh, you know what? Actually, seven might be accurate because it was only sixty laps, not sixty-one. Right. Yeah. Something like that. So. So it. Uh, you know, it seems like he still would have been able to make that happen with uh, as much pace as he was able to pull away from uh, from Vettel, and you know he probably would have been able to get get around Alonso and so on. But it all came together well, and I think part of that was Lewis's trademark um, in and out laps being really good. In this case, the in lap, where just really keeping it keeping the car under control, but right on the edge of the fastest speed you can possibly do um, on that in lap, it's coming into the pits, and then you know that obviously the, the team servicing the car quickly, but. Uh, you know, to to really just keep all the time that they could possibly do so, and uh, yeah, obviously it came together. And I mean, Lewis has got to be so happy after the string of unreliability and issues, and then um, and then even of course with with Monza with you know getting the race win, um, but then to come back and say, to get he got a win, he got a hat trick. I mean, he ended up with um, with obviously pole position, I guess fastest lap as well, and uh, and of course the victory. Also, with his teammate getting zero points and not even being his fault, no right. controversy about that. That's exactly uh, right. I mean, I guess of course there are. Unless I know that was Rosberg's punishment. Yes, I think dun, dun, dun. the team may have. Uh, oh man, I don't even. So anyway, uh, to, to, to briefly summarize where we are now in the drivers' championship, Lewis Hamilton is in the lead. OMG. With 241 points, three points back, and obviously now there's no way Rosberg will ever be able to make this up, uh, 238 points. But Dark Horse that could win the whole thing with 60 points behind, remember it's only 60 points behind, is Daniel Ricciardo, or as some people like to say, Ricciardo, which was going back to his Italian heritage. So that's there you have it. No way Rosberg will be champion, but Daniel Ricciardo might be. <laughs> This is really a thing for you, isn't it? It is, and I am co- I am going to run with it. More seriously, though, let's have a discussion about option and prime tires. We have four compounds we're dealing with. We have the 
the hard, the medium, the soft, and the super soft, right? We're assuming dry weather at this point, not worried about the intermediates or the wets. On any given race weekend, Pirelli chooses two and says you have to run with these two. Right. I think at one point originally when they came up with this concept, it was going to be skip a generation, right? Medium, super soft, hard, soft, and on and on, right? Right. Maybe somehow you could do a hard and super soft, but I don't think that ever happened. But right. Yeah. So right. Yeah, you'd have to. You couldn't just do two compounds that were next to each other in terms of performance. You had to have a gap. But it got to the point where I think somebody arguing safety uh, erroneously, I would argue, said no, no, no. It has to be one against the other because uh, otherwise the deltas of the different cars on our would be so great that uh, you know people would be liable to run in it because they're so much slower than the others, so much faster than the others, whatever. But here, all of a sudden, we had a difference of soft and super soft being worth over two seconds a lap, and it made for a much bigger question on tire strategy, which added an element of um, interest for the race, Mm -hmm. and a lot more question marks, okay, is like, okay, this is who's fast now, but how is this going to play out? This is the kind of thing that we want more of. Right. Why is it that we just get these half or half a second lap time differences or less between the two tires? Right. I mean, we often hear drivers or teams and sometimes commentators sort of complaining about the tires of like, well, nobody wants to be on these tires, but they have to be because of those pesky rules. And maybe missing the point that like, well, the point of the rules is because to get this difference. Part of that was to increase overtaking, right? So not everybody was just the same pace all the time, and it was just really tough to overtake. Exactly um, And of right. course, we've got DRS and stuff now for that as well, but... That's part of the point is that you have to make a strategy call. Everyone has to make you know, their own calls for the race and has to deal with the same compounds of tires and basically the same track conditions. So it's a strategy. It's a judgment call. Do I want to end up on the soft tires? Do I want to start on the soft tires? Do I want to do two stints of one, one of another, and, and so on? And it's you know, when the tires are working as they should, it's, it seems like they were this weekend. You know, of course, yes, you can, the, the harder tires are not as fast, but they last longer. Okay. And then the soft tires, you're, you can use them, but you have to use them wisely and they're going to run out, but they're going to be really fast while you have them. Like, right. That's the whole point. Right. <laughs> and if there's not much of a difference, as there hasn't been in a lot of races, um, you know, we see, oh yeah, he's got a little bit of advantage. Maybe he can get a little bit better corner exit because he's got these softer tires. That's one thing. But when we see, okay, a few seconds per lap, and that's the difference between, uh, you know, a, a mid-pack car being able to hang with a higher-level car for, you know, for a while, make a pass that you may, may not have made otherwise, or, you know, just be able to, to, you know, cause someone some aggravation or whatever. It's like, that's that's the only way these tires make sense is to have enough of a delta to, uh, you know, to, to shake things up a little bit. Exactly right. So exactly the system right. is working. Yeah, and that's what we want. And I think, I, I hope that I'm right to say that both Jim and I would love to see more than a second delta between the two tires. Have it be a significant enough thing that uh, guys really have to think of, uh, the strategists really have to think about how to do this. Because there's the added complication. And my my thought was, okay, the best time to use the prime tire, the slower tire, is first stint. Because that's when the cards are heavy. That's when you're going to wear the that's when you're going to wear tires out the most anyway. Um, so do a few laps on the prime tires right at the beginning. The car's the heaviest. Then get them out of the way, and then you're on super softs, clear to the end, make it rain awesome. No one did that. Clearly, I'm not a good strategist at all. And I think the reason is I think the, the, the risk was if a few people were on the super softs, um, they get ahead of you, and then – 
when you're in front, especially in Formula One, it's a little bit easier to control the pacing of things. Right. And it makes it more complicated for the others. So pretty much, at the very least, all the front runners started on the super softs mm-hmm. and uh, made for a thing. But it was interesting. This was a question mark from lap one. How is this going to play out? Who's going to do things when? I want to see more of that. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I would I would add to my, you know, thinking on the matter is if if you're going to have a two-tire compound rule and this whole you have to use both and this and that, then there should be this big delta between them. Um, I guess I wouldn't be the saddest person in the world if for next year or whatever they said, okay, we're doing away with this. We're just going to have one set of tires and everybody uses that. We have enough other things for, you know, DRS basically and, uh, you know, the rest of the systems that we think, okay, overtaking isn't an issue and we want to do that. I mean, that there is, uh, I guess, an element of show business in the whole multi-tire compound thing but, yeah, if you're going to go through the effort and the regulations to say we have two different tire compounds and you have to make those and you have to plan for them and have the rules around it and so on, then there should be a payoff for the, for all that extra added effort and sort of investment in it. Um, or you could scrap the whole thing and say, hey, we all run on the same tires the whole time and you make up the other battles other elsewhere and make up you know DRS for does its passing thing and whatever. So I'm not like a huge, um, you know, I don't watch the sport just to see how the two different tire things go out. But, hey, if you're going to do that, make it worthwhile I and think, uh, have it happen. I think what would be interesting is uh, adding actual tire management into the strategy and say, just like fuel, tires have to last the entire race distance. And it's going to be close on uh, how well they manage. Like the tires will wear out and you have to be careful. Of course, if that were the case, we'd have to come up with a very – a uh, clever way to make pit stops a thing. So I'm not necessarily advocating for it all. Well, but if, I'm... if they outlaw team radio altogether, then the idea is you stop in the pit to <laughs> have, have a nice talk. talk. Have it, you know, like there's a mandatory tea time in the middle right. or something. And then you just get out Intermission. Tea and biscuits, and then they get back onto it. But I think what I'm really trying to say is I kind of like having the mandatory tire swaps and have it also be a compound change baked into it somehow because. To me, that does still add an element of strategy, and I think uh, what you and I, you know, we might differ a little bit on that, but what you and I are largely agreeing on is like, hey, when the difference is bigger, it's better. Yes. To, to, to a point. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you have to do one stint on bike tires. Yeah, I mean, who knows? <laughs> that could, could get a little weird uh, at some level, but yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, you know, the, the, the tire strategy was fun. Um, obviously, you know, the, this this race uh, of all of them, you know, being Singapore reminds me uh, of the refueling because, of course, this is where Massa years ago when there was refueling um, ended up, uh, you know, they had the fuel, you know, the, the fueler got stuck in the car and ended up, you know, taking out of the pit stop and, and, you know, kind of burst of flames and was like knocked a guy over. And that was one of, the, I think, the big reasons why they stopped refueling in the car. I, I think you're right. But uh, just, uh, you know, kind of the different strategic elements that have come and gone because you remember that from – um, you know, from qualifying, right? It used to be, okay, are you going to qualify heavier and then you'll be in a better strat, a, a better uh, spot for the beginning of the race? You can go longer or go really light to get, you know, get your tire on, on top of the grid and so on. So I guess if you took out the car, the tire compound thing, uh, then um, if everyone were running the same, then there'd be, you know, one fewer variable, I guess, that every team would have to play with. But, right. um, you know, yeah, I, I guess you may struggle to think of additional things you can do to uh, play with it if it's like oh you've got two different wings and you have to change wings partway through and there's the <laughs> you, you know it, I don't know that just would go I would and, say you have to have two different drivers ooh yeah you have to change drivers partway through that is shake it up huh how about that yeah and they can't be friends solved it um, uh, there's a guy I want to talk about that we normally don't 
or at least in all that terribly positive way. Sean Eric Vern, or Jev, as some people like to call him. Yes. He finished sixth, and that includes his five-second penalty for uh, exceeding track limits at one point. That's a massive finish for him. I don't know what lit a fire under him, but he finished sixth with the penalty. Daniel Kfiat finished 14th. That's a that's a strong result for a guy that we know at the moment is out of a drive. Right, and that may be why. I mean, we've we've seen some performances like this in the past. Yes. Nick Heidfeld comes to mind. Yes. Um, where only when having to prove himself does he work hard enough to prove himself, or maybe he's always working really hard and just kind of appears that way, but either way, it appears that way. Yes. Um, so, yeah, he just went on this rampage on the last, like, four laps and really successfully. It was brilliant. I, I feel like he caught some people off guard, specifically Botas, where he made a pass, and I kind of, you know, we looked at it, we're like, wait, was that for position? Because it looked like he just, you know, just the timing and whatever, he just kind of made something happen. And uh, and then even the announcers were like, oh, yeah, I guess that was, you know, wow, that just happened. Um, <laughs> that just happened. Well, you know, you sort of, nobody expects the STR, right? <laughs> like to just do so well at the end of the race and be close together. It was... I think the mid-race safety car really helped to just bunch everything back up. So we actually had some good battling near the end of the race. We had some great battling. You know, normally, of course, things get spaced out. And, of course, there's going to be a couple of people that end up with really similar paces and so on. But uh, in most cases, you know, a car like that, if you wherever your pace is, you're going to, you know, it's just going to get stretched out over the course of the race. And then, you know, even if you ha- you make a tire change and you have much better speed, you may be 30 seconds behind somebody else on track or whatever. So being able to keep everyone bunched up for the last, you know, half of the race um, you know, enabled a couple of these interesting battles. But, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like after they announced his penalty for exceeding track limits and a five-second stop go, which is one of those where you only take it when you have a pit stop coming up, you have to st- sit stationary for five seconds. Otherwise, they just add five seconds to your time at the end of the race. Once they announced that to him, he was like, all right, screw this. I'm going to go drive better than anyone's seen me for like a year or yeah. two. No, I, and, yeah. you know, just sort of a career highlight day. Which is great to see that he can do that, but where was that, you know, earlier in your career to get the Red Bull drive or whatever, you know? Yes, it, fair enough. But, come on, let's not, let's not uh, belittle this too much. I mean, this, this, without any exception, was a brilliant drive on John Eric Verne's part. And to me, what it signifies is, God, you get him motivated properly, and he, that was that was real good. I mean, think about think about people he was ahead of. He was ahead of Jean-Eric Verne, Sergio Perez, Kimi Raikkonen, Nico Hulkenberg, Kevin Magnussen, Valtteri Bottas. I mean, he and those are I think just about all of those people where he passed on track. And this is Singapore we're talking about. This is one of the yes, everyone is difficult, but this is one of the more difficult places to pass because there aren't big braking zones. So I just I I'm hugely impressed by it is what I'm saying. And I think uh, what what I think really drew attention to it for me was that this was on top of the fact that he had a penalty. Everyone's saying, oh, he's going to lose several places because, you know, they're all right there. And Nico, uh, Kevin Magnuson's going to benefit from it and down the list. No, no. He was more than five seconds clear of seventh place Sergio Perez. So that was the end of it. Right. You know, I mean, you just nailed it for whatever, whatever reason. Uh, nailed it. Nailed it. I keep uh, I keep you know remembering the the Williams pit stop um, where uh, 
the, the, the one wheel wheel guy just comes over and just like slaps the hell out of the other guy. Right. There, there's a gif of that online, and I just I don't know. It's somehow mesmerizing. Of like, what the hell was going on there? And there's yeah, some debate. that would be a fun little story of like, uh, okay, I mean, why I'm, were they upset with each other? Because there's nothing in the pit stop that looked grossly done wrong either. Right. It was a little bit slow, perhaps, but. Right. Well, it, it looks fine, and I, I guess there's uh, some. Um, you know, there's there's some debate. Oh yeah, that was just some will, you know, some witty banter. That's a thing that the guys do. There's a little friendly competition or whatever. Yeah, that's not um, true. Come on. Which seems yeah, like a bit of a PR spin on it. Although you have to say the one guy walks up and you know, you know, gets slapped in the face and he just kind of goes, oh yeah, okay. Like he doesn't go, what yeah, the hell? But you know, the it, slapper did that and then threw his arms up yeah. in frustration. So know. maybe there was a big smile behind the helmet. They were wearing helmets, but come on. Yeah. If if that's how they uh, go, it's a little bit childish. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, and you, you know you don't see that every day, so uh, it's it's a bit funny. But um, so uh, one of the other uh, big rule changes that we haven't really talked about because it just came up is uh, team radio. Um, you know, pit to car radio um, being severely restricted, and, and originally to say no, you can't tell the driver anything about the performance of the car or driver, uh, anything about you know how he might attack a corner or relative information about how other drivers are doing. Um, which there was a very big meeting about this with all the teams, and they said, hold on, what? This is out of nowhere, and you yeah. want to enforce it right away. And it was indeed on a yacht. And then they backed off to say, okay, well, you can talk about the performance of the car, just not the drivers. But I think we heard several radio transmissions there was some gray area. that would have been breaking that rule. So it seems, A, difficult to bring up a rule like that and so quickly enforce it. Well, yeah, this came up after the Italian Grand Prix, with the intention to enforce it at Singapore. Right, to enforce it right away. Yeah. Um, which just seems foolhardy because, of course... With, by the way, they said that, that the rule is going to become stricter for 2015. Right. Which that makes a little bit more sense because you have time to mostly, I think, clarify yeah. what these things are. Because it's it's one thing to say, okay, well, okay, performance of the car. You can say something about, okay, your tire pressures are this or that. But usually you're not getting messages like that. What you're getting from the team is not the raw data, but, hey, we've looked at this, and we think you can, you know, dial your brake bias this way, or we think, you know, watch this pressure, or if you have a puncture because of that, is that the performance of the car? Would that be actually outlawed to say, you know, there's a, there's questions about safety and so on? But even things like, okay, push now, is that that's performance of the driver, I guess? That's kind of driver coaching to say you should push now. Right. It's sort of maybe implied. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like the cheerleading squad screaming, be aggressive in the background. P, U, S H push yay! I don't understand the point of it either. Is is what I'm getting at, and I think it's a bit silly. And I think it's also going to be really difficult to enforce and say where's the line. What he said is okay. What he, what what the other guy said isn't. And there's going to be disputes up and down. So I think in a lot of ways it's simpler to just say radios. You can't do this on the radio. Like there's only a few things you can say on the radio. And if they implement something more like that in 2015, well, okay, maybe that'll be a thing. Right. And then, of course, the, the next question is, uh, you know, or the, the thinking is that what are F1 teams good at if not reading rules and then very carefully finding ways to exploit any little gray areas? Exactly. And there's a pretty big gray area here. So if you say, hey, Lewis, you know, the leaves on that tree are green, then... Exactly right. So they specifically said... Or no they can come up with code names, just like performance of the car. So if we tell you so-and-so is getting warm, that means this. Right. You know what I mean? Like, So they specifically banned coded messages, but then how would you know if it's a well-coded ex- message? Exactly. But it's like, okay, no double entendre. This means you. Also, no line. Are you lying? Right. No? 
Um, Good. So I mean, it's just it's silly. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of on board with the point, and the point is to you know, and some drivers get more of this from their teams than others to say, okay, you know, you're losing out. In well, some of the drivers ask for it more than others, right? Certainly, and some ask you to leave you alone because they know what they're doing. So they. Um, you know, sometimes you get these messages like, okay, you know, you can push harder in sectors one and three, you're gaining time, you're, you're losing time there or whatever. And I kind of get that that, um, you know, that's that's something that I guess, you know, the driver's not going to know on his own. But if you take that away from everyone, that the drivers are going to have to figure out on their own where they're gaining and losing time. And that's kind of cool. And like like Jensen said in the interview, it's kind of old school or whatever. Um, I, you know, Jensen also made the point, I've, I've never been, you know, coached to a better lap, you know, ever in my life, like like over the radio, which I thought was a bit of a, I don't know, it's a, a maybe conflicting terms or something, because it's, it's one thing right. to sort of say, oh, Jensen, if you turn the wheel here, then you're going to go faster, and he's going to go, oh, well, I never thought of that, I'm faster now, because <laughs> it's like, he is the driver, that's the job that he does, and he should know how to get the car around the track faster, but I think uh, you have to imagine that over the course of his career, there have been times when someone's let him know when he can back off safely and right. not lose time, or things like that, so it's like, to be like, I've never been coached ever, that's, that's you know, ludicrous, and, you know, anyone who is is a loser, it's like, no, that's not really the point. To me, though, it's totally silly to if they if they wanted to say, look, this is silly and we really want to crack down on it for 2015, that'd be one thing. But the fact they really wanted to implement it for Singapore, that's kind of ridiculous. It's like, hey, uh, just so you guys know, you've been playing under these rules. Now we're going to a flyaway event and we're changing the rules a lot. Right. And and um, think about this. Just what was it? Two, three years ago, uh, blown diffusers, and they it you know they were outright banned. I think for the 2013 season, um, and then do- definitely the rules for 2014 were like this cannot happen this way. Right. But there was somewhere it was the middle of 2012 where they said, "Hey, a few events from now, we're really going to start looking at blown diffusers more closely." The the teams had what eight weeks, ten weeks to like get that system going without um, without any kind of. Uh, uh, you know, penalty in between. There was like draw there. And then all of a sudden something to me that's way more uh, uh, secondary is radios. I don't understand why their swift action had to be taken. I just found that silly. And to me that was an annoyance and a complication for the teams. Right. And they talked about even, I think, uh, Nico Rosberg talking about spending extra time in the simulator um, doing a special trip to the sim to sort of understand, okay, what if the car comes up with this message? Normally the guys on the pit wall are going to look at it and radio to him to say, okay, you know, this is happening. Here's how you can react to it. But they had to sort of train him on more parts of his car uh, and, you know, what different messages and, or I guess, you know, different values to look at on the steering wheel for temperatures or pressures or whatever he's looking at. So, you know, it seems like, like the timing of it is the weirdest part. But then also having um, having backed off on it already sort of, you know, shows off that it's that it's not you know not really set in stone or fully thought out. Right? Does and, this even have teeth? Right. And I, and I and I think um, once they announce, okay, this is something we're looking into, then they can take an event like this one and make sort of go down. Okay, here are the radio messages that we broadcast. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not okay. Just to get some examples of what's what are we considering uh, a message about the performance of the car and, and what yeah. is the driver and you know what's going to be okay and what's not okay because you need that 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 you know I guess library of of you know known this is okay and some precedent for it because it would be super super lame if now a couple hours after the race is over um you see an article oh yeah lewis hamilton 20 second penalty because it turns oh, out you know God, they told yeah. him he could push into the on his pit in 
and it turns out it was bad, you know, because who's going to, are they going to police these in real time or how are they going to know? You know, like that would just be super, super dumb. So Completely agree. we need to make sure everybody's on the same page here and doesn't either overreact because they, they aggress, you know, they really don't want to get a penalty. So that we're going to overreact and not say anything. And then, you know, there's just this miscommunication. So any kind of ambiguity like that you know, rubs me the wrong way, and I think we have a lot of it in this particular rule change. Yes, but we need to talk about team championships where constructors' points. Uh, Mercedes actually didn't gain much of anything this year round, but they are now 174 points clear of second in the constructors' championship, Red Bull. And uh, Williams is still holding on to third at a Ferrari in fourth. So it is becoming a fascinating race for third in the Constructors' Championship, but it's becoming very, 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 very much a one-man show for first. Yeah, man. I feel like, I mean, there's more to talk about, as always. Um, you know, we had uh, not a resurgence, but a strong performance from Kimi Raikkonen ended up not uh, not panning out as well for him. Yeah, but I mean, his qualifying look, was so much more promising than his race pace. Right. Sadly. Um, and you know we had we had several good battles and you know just I don't know it really just that the Hamilton the lead when you've got good passes for the lead and you know this three way battle for the you know second and third uh, between the two Red Bulls and Alonso and of course the two Red Bulls ended up there um, but Alonso being well right three way battle for second really right you could say right and um, uh, yeah and it's a good point uh, shout out to Jensen Button who was racing really, really well and then had his car quit on him. Yeah. You know how that's listed as their failure is Powerbox. His Powerbox broke. Oh. Not to be – so Kamui Kobayashi had a power unit failure. <laughs> yeah. But Jensen's Powerbox. Apparently that's a, the technical term for the kind of uh, failure that So Jensen that's what it was. Had. He was. He had some really good music going and all of a sudden it cut out. The Powerbox, man. <laughs> so that was that. Such a shame. Yeah, both Sauber's retiring uh, with uh, Adrian Tutil with a water leak yeah, and that, Gutierrez that with electrical. Um, and then, of course, Nico Rosberg's wiring loom uh, that we saw. Ooh, 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 ooh. And uh, you, you, uh, you made a not so much a prediction, more of a hope, um, uh, kind of a negative one uh, that I would love for you to share of what your hopes are for Sauber. Well, uh, I'm excited that Marussia has finally gotten some points. Of course, uh, two well, points. That was a few with races ago Jules now. Jules but... Bianchi, but that that has put them ninth in the constructors' championship, ahead of both Caterham, who's like way out there, but Sauber, who is th- keeps threatening to get points but never quite doing it. So, so Sauber and them both have zero points. Definitely didn't do it this um, weekend. So you know the big goal for Marussia has always been, oh, we need to, we want to get tenth spot because we get this payout of money and the TV and we're in the top ten teams and blah blah blah. And they've traditionally been outside of that. Um, now they're all of a sudden jumping over that and getting to ninth. So they're in, they're in a solid ninth place right now in the, in the championship. Um, and, uh, and I just, I kind of want to see it keep that way. I mean, it's, I, you know, Salbert is a big team with good legacy and so on, but it's really just not come together for them this year. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm hopeful that Marusha can keep ninth. So by extension, uh, I don't want Salbert to get two or more points, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, beat them there. Um, and of course, Lotus Lotus, who you know was looking really, really strong last year, and so on, only has eight points. And it's been eight for a while. They have it's, not moved, right? And it was all Grosjean, all at one event, I think. Um, I'm going to say sure. Okay, um, but it I, I think it was sounds like, right. Maldonado was actually threatening for a point at 
towards yeah, the end of this race, but, but it didn't work out. Never quite. Yeah. yeah. He threatens a lot of things. Um, <laughs> so, you know, even if Marusha could get one other, you know, with some who knows what crazy rain in Japan and all kinds of, uh, you know, obviously uh, Texas. And then let us not forget double points in Abu Dhabi. Um, you could uh, you could certainly have that that order shaken up a little bit. So Marusha, all of a sudden, who's been gunning for tenth forever, is sitting in ninth. I hope they at least stay there. Or even that would be amazing if they were to if they were move up to eighth, uh, because I feel like that's uh, which well, it's not completely out of possibility. It's that's that's outside, but that is possible, that is outside. Yeah. But I think holding ninth. Um, is a reasonable expectation now, and uh, every time we see Sauber's not getting points, they're one race closer to uh, Marusha staying in ninth. So that's very true. It's just kind of I don't know. It's, it's and listen, kind of we don't you, honestly. Uh, Sauber could get a point and still, you know, right, not do well. And it's also I don't know how it worked exactly, but it's also possible that Sauber could even get two points and not necessarily take over ninth. Because we'd, we'd have to look at other best finishes, right? Other best finishes and. You know, with a lot of retirements, though, for Sauber, and some actually pretty strong out of points, but pretty strong finishing positions from Arusha. It actually could be, we could we could look at this, but that's a lot of math. Uh, figuring out, yeah, if they both had two points, it's, there's a pretty good chance, actually, Marusha would still be ahead. I think we've yeah. had a lot of retirements and uh, a lot of a lot of double finishes. Oh, wait, though. Mm. Adrian Sutil is taller. He's a really tall like, guy. solidly tall. So when you think of just, like, positions, like, above the ground right. and you're... You know, feet on the ground and the head is like way, way tall. That's so, got to be worth at least three points right that is, there. That is a tall so man. So it's something to consider. Yeah, that is. We received an email from repeat email feed, feed, feeder backer, feedbacker, <laughs> feeder back. We're going to go with feeder back. Yes, let's Paul do that. Austin, who says me again, knowing he's a repeat feeder backer. Um, have Merck scuppered Rosberg's race on purpose? And that's, first of all, good use of the word scuppered. But, uh, yes, because I know what that word means. I really, I mean, we had some of this from, uh, from uh, Monza, of course, as well, saying, oh, man, Rosberg, the way he locked up and then let it go, whatever, that must have been his punishment. And now, as soon as we saw this happen, we kind of looked at each other and thought, oh, maybe this is Rosberg's punishment. Right. You and I, Robin, do not, uh, do not really subscribe to the theory that any team would, in, you know, get any fewer points than absolutely possible for the team. Exactly okay. Right. There are team orders where we think, oh, this guy should happen, and you know, this should this guy should end up in front of this guy or whatever. But to screw up a wiring loom or whatever they you know actually would have done according to the theory to then say that they screwed up a wiring loom and have a guy who's in contention for the win slash maybe second place of this race to say, oh yeah, we have to languish in the back and then cause all this mechanics, all this heartache and everything else. Everyone in the whole team uh, that's working behind the scenes to make these cars happen really does not seem like a logical outcome. I suppose technically it's possible, but it's man, it's just really kind of defies reason. And uh, I personally, if you're asking our opinion, my opinion is that no, they have not scuppered a race on purpose. Um, and, and my opinion is that Jim's opinion makes lots of sense. Ooh. It's it's a kind of silly Kind of silly. It, listen, if if Nico were to get punished, actually with performance on track, something tells me it would be a tiny touch more overt than a busted wiring loom, which they had to change right at the last minute and then went out for a few laps and then start. I mean, it seems like if they wanted to punish it and they wanted it to be like a nice uh, conspiracy theory, there'd be ways to uh, do that with a lot less stress on everybody. Right. Well, let's think about that for a second. What would you do if you are, say, Toto Wolf, and you're trying to, you know, architect a, uh, say, okay, we want to slow one guy down. We don't want we don't want Rosberg to win. We want to sort of give one back for Hamilton. Uh, it seems like you could have a in a pit stop 
have some delay yes. with the timing lights or something right. that could be pretty easily explained away where like all the cars are ready and then just for doesn't take long a few tenths you know half a second before, the, before replace, the light turns green i would replace the left front tire man's air gun with a pez dispenser when rossberg came into his first and he'd go in every and he'd be like ching ching with pez i'm like it's not working and then like oh give him an actual air gun and boop there you go that would be one way to do it or um i think the a much more clever and uh, I'll admit subtle way to do it is to get on the radio and say, Nico, Lewis is faster than you. And uh, that'd be fun because that never happened before. Uh, Listen, it's silly. Just let reality be reality and uh, move on. It's like crazy enough. Like it is that I don't think we even need to come up with crazy theories to, uh, or not crazy. I don't mean to dismiss it as, as crazy, but we don't need to come up with sort of alternate, you know, possibilities when what we're presented with as fact is interesting enough. Quite interesting. And I mean, uh, seriously, go back the other way. It, it was, uh, uh, was Lewis Hamilton's, uh, what was it? Uh, you know, spark plug, um, insulator, in insulator yeah. failure. Was that punishment for something he did in preseason testing? I mean, think about it because it is ultimately the same kind of thing. Think about that and how much reason that has. Answer is none. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I think it's it. Listen, it's fun to have these kind of talks, I suppose, from time to time. So whatever. There you have it. Um, we had, I guess, I don't know if this is a weird time zone for folks or if uh, people are just not using Twitter so much these days, but uh, precious little on uh, on Twitter. But big thanks to Bernard A. for uh, sending a couple tweets our way on hashtag FWCars, um, where Mercedes-AMG actually uh, tweeted the the difference, the .007 seconds, the 7,000 that we talked about. Uh, what does that look like in real terms? 33.5 centimeters. Um, so my thinking is at the speed that they're traveling when they're crossing the start-finish line um, at Singapore. If my guess to... would have been actually average speed yeah. of the lap. That would okay. be my guess. But... Um, so either way, you know, converting uh, a time into a distance, that which we do is would be some, uh, some distance per time. So, yeah, 33.5 centimeters, which is basically what a uh, typical, um, you know, little yardstick, not yardstick, ruler um, that you'd have. So over the course of the entire lap with – all the little differences in driving styles and mistake here and excellent performance there and bouncing over the curbs and all that, that after all that, it comes down to, uh, you know, this distance that I'm showing you with my hands that you can't see right now, except you. I can see um, it. 33 and a half good, centimeters. Good distance. I'm so, oh my God, you just blew me away with that visual. Wow. Thank you. Um, that is a kind of a, kind of a neat uh, way, to, way to put it. And um, also making the point, uh, seven Singapore Grand Prix, seven safety cars. And uh, that was that was held on. It sort of didn't seem like it. That there was like oh, actually things are going pretty well. The start was was fairly clean. I mean, no safety yeah. car at the start, and things were settling down. And uh, just when you start to think that, bam! You know, get uh, <laughs> a front wing coming off, and That's it right. all uh, come came safety card from there. But uh, thank you seven as for always. Seven numbers are great. Right. Thank you as always for uh, sending emails, tweets, Facebook messages. Um, I didn't even look at Facebook. Man, there's probably all kinds of things going on over well, there's, there. Uh, there's a little bit going on, on Facebook. It's not too super crazy busy there, but. You know, good, good stuff generally, as always. Right. So uh, thank you, as always, folks, for uh, sending us information and thoughts and comments and posting articles and all kinds of fun stuff that you guys do for us uh, to feedback. Um, so if you want to take part in that, you can always visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on the shows directly. And you, there's links to our presences on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and you can also email feedback at funwithcars directly and uh, get in touch with us that way. So thank you, as always, for doing so. Do it.
you know, I was all thrilled. I'm like, this time in predictions, I'm really going to throw people off and just own it. No, not the case. Plenty of people went ahead and went Hamilton, Hamilton. I think, in fact, the number is 81. And you guys were all right. No points. Zero points. Right. There were there were many of us, and I count myself and Damien, the heuristic model, in that group. But uh, yes, 81 folks predicted Hamilton Hamilton for a total of zero points. And uh, well done to all of you, including Spreadsheet and I myself. scored five points. Right. And my smile was going ear to ear because Rossberg didn't even start the race. I'm like, ha-ha, there's a huge group of people that are going to be uh, ruined by that. Yeah, there was a group. But right. so lots of Hamilton faithfuls out there. Your prediction was Vettel Ricardo, which yes. of course got you which five was points. Brilliant. Which tied you for 112th place Yay. with a few others. Um, and so that that prediction was equivalent to the Muscle Hamilton prediction as well, made by Leanne Lister and David Munchie Swanborough. Um, but uh, and ahead of a Reagan and Hamilton and a Hamilton Perez and a couple other interesting predictions in that middle ground. Now, yes. had I taken the exact same prediction but swapped it and had Ricardo ahead on pole and Vettel to do better in the race? That would have been uh, that would have been a two point swing. Ah, that's true. But you didn't. I didn't do that. So I should have done that. Uh, honorable mention shout out to Blake Anderson, who put in a prediction of Vettel for pole, which is very reasonable, and Rosberg to win, which is also very reasonable. But but wah, wah. was the worst prediction this time out because it got twenty three points and was just two points worse than a Rosberg Rosberg, which was predicted by a great number of people. So very reasonable prediction. However, it uh, it. it fell apart for him there so and now we got it it's one and only person in the lead Anne shaw with 44 points she is running this place she moved up four spots this time yes and then kirkland de castro tony minty shambrook uh roji rio Icar. oh boy um i'm sorry i'm sorry for mispronouncing that and my matt taiki is part of a three-way tie for fifth and then an eighth i'm sorry so we went first second third fourth fifth and he's tied with um, John Stegman and Andrew Winter. Ooh, I can pronounce that one. And uh, in eighth place, all on it's his own. It's Winter, okay. <laughs> and eighth all on his own is um, Martin Christensen. And uh, that he's tied with Mark Page. And then finally, Paul Bryant keeping it real in tenth. Right. I am in 81st. <laughs> I'm in 22nd. I moved up four places. However, Damien, the spreadsheet, is uh, just two spots behind me now, having moved up 12 spots that time, making lots of hay while that uh, particular Rosberg um, transmission gate wiring loom apocalypse sun was shining. Sorry, and I was lying. I'm in 107th. <laughs> I, I just, oh boy, I don't know. You might as well go bold for the future, <laughs> just because why not, right? Yeah, You're, I think that... Um, I think that uh, you were down 18 spots. From I think last James race Hunt is going to come back to life and get in the car and win for the rest of the year. That's right. what I think is going to happen. He's going to be on pole position. You do it from pole every time. No, that's not actually what I think. By the way, um, okay. Well, so uh, it's Japan coming up quickly. Yeah, and here's the thing I want to say about Japan. Japan is much more than I'm, my prediction. It is my statement of being one of the best. Um, one of the best uh, races of the year. It's going to be my number three, I think. It's going to go Monza Spa Japan because Japan, just Suzuka is such a cool thing. You know, sec- Sector 1 with the S's, that's so brilliant. And then 130R, just so much cool stuff. And high-speed stuff, it's just such a proper track on so many levels. And that doesn't even get into the fact that uh, Art and Senna developed the NSX there and blah, blah, blah. The place is brilliant for so many reasons. Did you know 
Lewis Hamilton has never won a Formula One at Suzuka. He won the Japanese Grand Prix in 2007. Oh, when it was Fuji. But it was Fuji. Ah. Well, um, would you believe it or not that, in fact, that was my plan all along to put um, to put Lewis Hamilton back on top. I am going to say that uh, Lewis Hamilton is going to be on pole and win the race. I think his mojo is back. I think he's got Rosberg rattled. And I think he's going to be... He's going to be in it to win it. So you're just going to agree with the predictions, statistical, heuristic model, and just think whatever happened today is going to happen in two weeks, huh? Yep. That's pretty boring. <laughs> pretty lame. Pretty much the safe bet, not interesting. Yeah. Pretty much what I was thinking about doing as well. Right. Um, Which means if that's exactly what you do, that uh, we would have a whole lot of Hamilton um, in the Fun With Cars predictions. Right. Which is... Um, go bold. This is your turn to go bold. Right. Well, I'm just, I'm just looking. Go from 22nd to 1st, Jim. So, Predict something out of the order. I mean, Daniel Fiat's been impressing. Or how about John Eric Verd, man? That sixth place, that he was just warming up. Yeah, no. Um, so I see Kimi Raikkonen won at Suzuka in 05 in a McLaren. Um, Alonso in 06. Alonso again in 08. Vettel has won there a lot. But 09, 2010, 2012, and 2013 has been all about Sebastian Vettel with the brief interruption of Jensen Button in 2011 in his McLaren. So not Jensen Button of the Braun days. No, Jensen Button and McLaren. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, you know, the Red Bulls were just off the pace, just in Suzuka and uh, or in uh, Singapore, of course. Um but I feel like it's going to be – there's so much fast-flowingness to uh, all of Suzuka that's not the yeses and whatever that's really going to be back to power. And I'm going to, I'm going to split the thing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to say that Rosberg actually gets the pole position this time. Ooh. I think he's, uh, he's going to be several hours more rested than Hamilton by the time it comes down to pole time in Suzuka having, you know, sat out uh, most of the Singapore Grand Prix. So I need to go change my thing right now, but I'm going to say Rosberg for pole, but I think Hamilton's going to come on and win it. So uh, only slightly changing from the uh, the usual Hamilton-Hamilton prediction here, but... Uh, maybe maybe Hamilton has a uh, you know car fire in qualifying, and all you guys get hosed, and I come out shining. I don't and know. Maybe just maybe that's all for the good, or maybe not. Either way, um, that's that'll do it for me. Uh, and for predicting, um, we've man, we're running out of races here. This is uh, this is kind of exciting. We're coming down to the end. We're coming down to the U.S. Grand Prix. That's coming up. Um, quick mention: Speaking of Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, that's where the World Endurance Championship was held this weekend. Uh, I ended up uh, staying up late with my little baby daughter and watching that. Although uh, about four o'clock in the morning, when she stopped crying, I fell asleep, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't end up seeing the end of that race. Oh, uh, well, so it goes. Fatherhood. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, watching movies that uh, for the first time. Like if you ever, you know, if I ever watch Captain Phillips, that movie again, uh, it'll be, I'll be amazed to see the version that doesn't have the crying baby soundtrack. You know, I'm sort of, you know, just. Oh, transitioning but I really, into I really that. felt that that tied the room together. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's tough. So yeah, um, Olive is is she's actually a pretty good fan of sports cars. She watches more sports cars than uh, than Formula One right now. Um, but uh, you know, that's just because that's that's what I happen to watch when uh, staying up late and uh, do, doing the night shift, uh, taking care of the little girl. So it's all good. Um, but two weeks we've got until Suzuka, and uh, you know, also I got United Sports Car actually at Circuit of the Americas as well. But I haven't watched that one yet. But uh, anyway, cool stuff happening in Texas and. Uh, you know, F1 season is kicking along. We've got plenty of points still on offer and uh, plenty of interesting stuff to still happen. So I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. I thank you for listening as always and uh, invite you to uh, keep keep tuning in and visit funwithcars.com. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Rob Warner with a bold prediction. Ooh. 
Jean-Eric Verne will be the 2015 Drivers' World Champion. Good night.